If we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other, Mother Teresa. It isn't enough to talk about peace. One must believe in it. And it isn't enough to believe in it. One must work at it. Eleanor Roosevelt. If we are to have peace on earth, our loyalties must transcend our race, our tribe, our class, and our nation. Martin Luther King, Jr. All three of these notable figures spoke of and sought after peace. And each one of these quotes displays the degree to which it is desired. And maybe it gets it right in some degree, but the question I believe still remains is what is peace? We're coming out of the season in which we talk about love, joy, hope, and peace. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. The coming of the Prince of Peace. But what is peace? Because deep down it is something that I believe we all desire. It's something innate in our very being that desires peace, whatever that is. And so many people have tried to speak into this desire, how to find, how to attain and have peace. And yet most either fall short or quite simply miss the mark. For example... The Hindu spiritual leader Dada Vaswani says, Happiness, true happiness, is an inner quality. It's a state of mind. If your mind is at peace, you are happy. If your mind is at peace but you have nothing else, you can be happy. If you have everything the world can give, pleasure, power, possessions, but lack peace of mind, you can never be happy. Strike one. Film director Godfrey Reggio says, I think it's naive to pray for world peace if we're not going to change the form in which we leave. He maybe gets a part of it, but I'll call that foul ball strike two. Austrian economist Ludwig von Mises says, The attainment of the economic aims of man presupposes peace. That's a big swing and a miss. Strike three, you're out. To seek an inner peace, such as Viswani talks about, is simply self-serving. Now, to begin to live differently in order to make an impact, well, that's a start. But to think that any aim of man could bring about true peace is just plain foolish. They missed the mark. As I read the text for this morning and I thought about how, uh, I thought about this passage, I thought this sermon would be more about how to combat stress and anxiety. And it is in some ways. But the more I read the verses, the more I thought 
and came to understand that maybe the issue isn't so much stress and anxiety as it is a misunderstanding of biblical peace. That peace indeed is something that each and every one of us pursues. And yet the more we chase after it, the further away we seem to get from it. Instead of peace, we see anxiety, we see tension, and we see conflict. And sometimes we see those things in the name of peace. So this morning, what I want to wrestle with, what I want to talk about, is biblical peace and how to better understand what true peace really is. And so for this morning, we have an Old Testament text and a New Testament text. And every once in a while, we don't have a scripture reader, which gives me the privilege to be able to read God's word for us this morning. So if you're able, I would ask that you please stand and face the front and center of the room. And we read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be essential in our lives. And we stand because this is indeed the authoritative word of God. But hear now these words from the book that we love. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may all be seated. Now, if I were to ask you, what do you think of? What's the first word that comes to mind when I say peace? What would you say? Did I hear happiness? Okay, happiness. World peace, calm, tranquility, ceasefire, peace of mind, Jesus, peace like a river. Did shalom pop into anyone's head? Shalom? Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. But peace, as it's commonly understood in English or in our culture, isn't quite the same as shalom. 
Whereas we probably understand peace more in the sense of stillness or calm or the lack of conflict or happiness. In Hebrew, shalom means wholeness, completeness, welfare, trust, prosperous, and peace. And by far, in a landslide, this word occurs over 200 times in Hebrew in Scripture, and over 165 times it's translated as peace. Now, as we've already demonstrated, as can be found in its, how it's used in Scripture, peace can mean a number of things. But when we talk about peace in the sense in which we desire peace for ourselves or for the world, I think we're reaching for something that's a bit more significant than how we commonly use it in our everyday language. We're reaching for something deeper inside of us, for that innate sense and desire to attain peace. But I'm not sure we understand how to get it. Because so often we try to fill ourselves with other things. And the two passages that we just read, though, speak to the peace that our souls deeply desire, of that shalom peace, that peace of God, the peace as God means for it to be. If you look at this verse, Isaiah 26.3, it's up on the screen. Here it is in English as well as in Hebrew. Now, Hebrew is read from right to left instead of left from right. Uh, And so it reads, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. But if you look closely at the Hebrew text, do you notice anything about the text? And you don't have to read Hebrew to notice this. But if you look closely, there's two words in the middle of the Hebrew text that are exactly the same. This is the Hebrew word, shalom. And it occurs twice consecutively. Shalom, shalom. This is translated, I won't say unanimously, but almost unanimously into the English as perfect peace. And if something is perfect, it is whole, it is complete, without flaw or blemish. So Isaiah is saying those who trust in the Lord, he will keep them in perfect peace. But a more literal translation would be those who trust in the Lord, he will keep them in peace peace. And interestingly, only once out of those 200 times is the word shalom ever translated as perfect. So as I was looking at the Hebrew, this seemed odd. It struck me that this word repeats like that twice. 
So I did some digging uh, to see if others, had, what other people thought of this, what other scholars or academics had thought of this and whether or not it was significant. And honestly, I didn't find a whole lot. But what I did find was that oftentimes in Scripture or in uh, uh, writings like uh, the Bible or uh, ancient texts, when words repeat, repetition was almost always used for intensive purposes. And what's cool about Scripture is that often we can look at Scripture and Scripture can solve some of its own riddles. And I love being able to make those connections and to help interpret Scripture with Scripture. Now, the one thing that we have to be careful with is not trying to make Scripture say what we want it to say, but make sure that we are understanding and being true to the text. But I think that this is one of those times in which Scripture can help us better understand Scripture. Throughout the Old Testament, and especially in Jewish law, when it came to inheritance laws, there was something known as the double portion. The firstborn son, when his father died, would receive a double portion of the inheritance. In other spots in the Old Testament we see this is that when the prophet Elisha is about to be anointed, he's asking for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Not because he wants to be more uh, uh, successful than Elijah, but that he might be able to carry on Elijah's ministry. And there's two other places in the Old Testament that I want to draw your attention to as we flesh out this idea. And if we look further along in Isaiah in chapter 61, verse 7, we see Isaiah speaking of the Lord's favor on his people, Israel. It says, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will, re you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inher inherit a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. So here it is again in reference to inheritance. But it's also concerning God's divine favor upon his children, Israel. In this chapter, chapter 61 in Isaiah, is actually a messianic one. And it's one in which Jesus quotes about himself in the New Testament. And the second one that I want to draw your attention to is in the prophet Zechariah, who makes a statement that's also messianic. In chapter 9 of his book that says your king comes to you righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey and it goes on to say that even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you the restoration that Zechariah is describing is doubled it is complete and full restoration and then some. So we get this sense then that when Isaiah says God will give you his, or will keep you in his perfect peace, that God's peace is something far greater. 
If we move ahead to our second passage for this morning from Philippians chapter 4, we don't just see peace here either, but we see it specifically mentioned as the peace of God. And Paul's letter to the Philippians is considered to be his letter of joy. It's largely positive, and throughout it, Paul is constantly reminding uh, reminding the Philippians to have joy, even in the midst of their trials. He begins this chapter with saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. It's a letter of joy, and yet Paul is writing it from prison. And often when we think of joy and happiness, we think about those things as the same thing. But they really aren't. If you look at the definitions of them, happiness is emotive. It's an emotional response to some sort of stimuli. While joy is a state of being. A state of being in which we find ourselves grateful, hopeful, and filled with expectation. And we find that because of Christ. You see, joy is something deeper. Joy, just like peace, is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. And in the next verse, in verse 5 of chapter 4, we see another aspect of the fruit of the Spirit when it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. So that if we have the fruit of the Spirit, these traits should be ingrained in us. That they should flow from us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't know about you, but those traits can be hard to see at times. But how much different would our interactions with others be if they came from a place of gentleness of joy, of peace, instead of hostility and divisiveness or defensiveness or irritation. Now, having worked in customer service and been on both the receiving end, or been on the receiving end of both good and bad customer service, I can tell you that complaints and confrontations when they're handled gently are much more productive than when they're handled with anger or uh, frustration. But it doesn't just apply to confrontation. It should be evident in all of our interactions with others, both those we agree with and disagree with. And Paul continues and he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, stress and anxiety are rampant mental health issues right now. And I would guess that they probably have been for quite some time. 
But as our world seems to get more and more connected through technology, through social media, through urbanization and other things, we are constantly being bombarded with more and more information and influence. And this triggers stress and anxiety. Or maybe it's that we're involved in too much, right? That we're involved in 15 different organizations or we work multiple jobs or we're chasing kids around to their 10 different extracurricular activities. We're being pulled in so many different directions all the time, constantly trying to fill ourselves up. Maybe your calendar looks something like this. Or even this. That's too much, isn't it? But that's what our calendars look like. We've got things overlapping all the time. There's no spot that says breathe. There's no spot that says Sabbath. There's no spot that says take a break. No wonder we're the most anxious nation in the world. There's actually been studies about stress, anxiety, mental health, the amount of uh, antidepressants and things like that taken that say we are the most anxious nation in the world. And not 10 minutes before the service, I actually pulled out my phone and I get news article updates and I wouldn't believe it, but the very first article that was on there said uh, a list of the most peaceful nations going into 2023. And I tell you what, we were not number one. That was Iceland. Which actually, I've been there. I would agree. But we're anxious. So how do we address this? And what does it mean when Paul says that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, that it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus? It transcends our understanding. Yet we need to try and understand what peace truly is. That it's not just that hour or maybe if we're lucky that two hours we get before bed after the kids go to sleep. But real peace. And so I want to pivot back now to the idea of Shalom. And I just read a book by a Native American theologian, and he begins his book with this line Shalom living is how life is meant to be. Living in God's shalom, in his peace, is how we are meant to live. Later on, he goes on to describe images of what such a life would look like. It's a life in which historic wrongs would be righted. Former enemies would come back together in love. Through restitution, justice would be served to those who had been wronged for years. People with physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual afflictions and anguish would be healed. People would be at peace with one another. Beasts would no longer stalk humans. Plants would no longer be poisonous to us. Pollution would cease. 
This should be something we long for, right? And he concludes saying that such images are not utopian in nature. Meaning that they are not just part of a human imagination of, oh, that would be nice. But no, he says that they are God's intentions for all creation. They are supposed to be reality. We need not think that such a world could only exist in the human imagination. Because the creator has embedded this desire deep within the core of our being. In a world that is broken by sin, selfishness, and evil. In which we see countries at at war, world leaders that are power hungry, terrorist groups ravaging and starving their own kind, and leaders within our country spewing vitriol or hatred for one another. Those images seem so far off. But Paul and Isaiah and the narrative of Scripture tell us otherwise. They tell us that the peace of God transcends all of that. That the peace of God is so much bigger than us. And that when we live in that shalom, it will guard our hearts and our minds. But you see, stress and anxiety thrive in the absence of peace. And what are the symptoms of stress and anxiety? Mental and physical exhaustion. Our minds run and run. We start to what if as many possible and different outcomes and scenarios, even the improbable ones, even the ones that are beyond possible. And physically, we get that tightness in our chest, in our gut, and we ache and long for relief. Or maybe you're a stress eater or a stress faster. And it doesn't just affect you mentally, but it affects you physically. And so we seek to satisfy those things. We seek to satisfy that longing with this busyness of life. We seek to temporarily relieve ourselves from this world, from from all of the pressures. We try to relieve the physical symptoms with things like drugs, alcohol, pornography, materialism. And we try and do it with all of these things only to realize that we still end up feeling empty. We still end up needing more. We still end up not having joy. Not having peace. Not feeling loved. But Paul says it's not so when we have the peace of God. It transcends all of that. But that doesn't mean that there won't be trials. That there won't be difficult seasons in life. For crying out loud, Paul's sitting here writing this letter in prison. 
but it means that we will have the peace we need in our hearts to weather those storms, to endure those hardships, to somehow, some way, come out the other side with joy. How do we get there? How did we get here? Maybe you're in that place right now where you're wondering, how in the world did I get here right now? It's all too much. I can't take it anymore. How do I get that peace? That perfect peace, that peace of God that Isaiah and Paul are talking about. Well, Isaiah tells us that it starts first by trusting in God, by recognizing that he is our rock eternal. And Paul gives us a few ways in which to do that. First, he says the answer to anxiety is prayer. That when this world drives us to our knees, that we would go to the foot of the cross, that we would go to the throne of God in prayer. And that when we do so, we know that we can trust that he will take that weight for us. That he has bared that consequence. That he has bared the cost of our sin for us. And that somehow, some way, he is working all things for our good. Now let me be clear. That does not mean that all things are good. That somehow everything is good. No. What that means is that there is bad in this world and those bad things will always be bad. But somehow, some way, God will work through those for good. And in our busyness, we tend to stop to forget to stop and pray. But Paul tells us that in every situation, not just when we're desperate, not just when we're driven to our knees or when we need something, but in every situation, our joys and our sorrows to remember God's presence and to enter into prayer in order to rely on God. And that when we do, we begin to come into proper alignment with God's will and his shalom way of living. And Paul stresses a proper posture for us in which to do so. A posture of humility and thanksgiving. That it begins with gratitude. That when we begin with thanksgiving, we keep Christ in view. But the more and more that we try and control our own lives, our own narrative, the more out of control we tend to feel. But what about when you can give something up to God in prayer? 
If you've ever been in a position of management or authority and you've been able to delegate responsibility, you know how important it is to have that person who you know you can delegate to, who you know you can give a task to, and you no longer have to worry about it. It takes a load off of you because you don't think you're going to have to just go back and fix the other person's mistake. Well, Paul is saying, look how much more God will do for you when you go to him in prayer. The more we pray, the more we learn to rely on God and to trust in him. To trust in him even in the midst of those trials. And that even when God does not answer in the way we expect, we still trust in his will. Then we will have that perfect peace. But we have to be careful because one of the ways that we often deceive ourselves is that we say, well, I prayed about that thing that I was worried about, but I'm still worried about it. But that's a trust issue. If you take something to God, you have to be willing to let him take it. If you don't, if you just keep going on about worrying about it, you're not trusting in him. You're not going to find that peace. You're just saying, God, I'm giving this to you, but I don't think you're going to do anything about it. But Paul promises and concludes this letter saying, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul uses this phrase frequently, the God of peace. He uses it in Romans. He uses it in his letter to the church in Thessalonica. And when he does, it's almost always paired with the idea of justification and sanctification. That those who trust in him will be declared not guilty, but restored to perfect righteousness. Peace. Perfect peace. Shalom, shalom is so much more than just peace of mind or the absence of conflict. But it is, what, it is a way of living that seeks God's will and to actively dwell in God's intention and presence. The Native American theologian I mentioned earlier, Randy Woodley, sums it up for, for us like this. He says, shalom is the very concept needed in order to understand God and to make sense of the Christ who died for the world. When humans begin to understand shalom, God's power will begin working through them. Jesus, the shalom Christ, who brings a shalom kingdom, is God's final answer to a broken and fragmented world world. Will you pray with me? God of peace, gracious Father, we come before you this morning broken. We come before you this morning in different seasons in our lives. And we come before you this morning on the brink of a new year in which many of us make resolutions for how we are going to live and be different.
But my prayer for all of us this morning when we leave this place is not that we would leave reaching our goals, but that we would leave trusting in you. And that when we do, we would receive your perfect peace that transcends all understanding, which you brought to this earth in your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen.